Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the sixth episode of The Patient, which is called Charlie. It's called Charlie. Once again, very playful titles for these episodes. <laughs> Just a reminder, we have continued to cover House of the Dragon, I should say, on this uh, podcast feed. And I just published that episode a little late, but if you haven't caught up with it, definitely check that out. It was an excellent episode. And uh, Sona, I know you don't watch the show, but they jumped 10 years ahead. So they made a really excellent episode and literally seemed to (laughs) skip over all the things I wanted to know more about. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, okay, I guess we're just not going to explore those things. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, it was very good. And uh, but an interesting decision to jump in time exactly there. (laughs) But nonetheless. Halfway through the season there, and uh, here we are halfway through the season. I think we are in the same the- uh, episode counts on these two shows. So, I mean, I'm just going to say it right now. I don't know where we're going with the show. So uh, this was, you know, after being very optimistic last week that we had some mm-hmm. trajectory going on the plot. Uh, I don't know where we're going. Before we get to all of that, uh, just make sure you <laughs> subscribe to us so you can continue to hear our negative feedback on this show. <laughs> and maybe, I mean, maybe we cover something else uh, along the way. Maybe we come back to this at the end. We could discuss it later, but we'll we'll see how how committed I am to, to this show at this point. Kind of frustrated at this point with the show. Same. And uh, also, I do want to get your opinion of the Dahmer show. I think you've watched just one episode, so maybe... Just a general conversation I want to have with you. Celia has seen the whole thing, my sister, so I will be discussing it with her and probably be appending it here to this episode to get into more episodic breakdown. But Sona, from you, I wanted to get a feel from really kind of just the fact that this show has been such a phenomenon. It is Netflix's most successful launch for a series um, only behind uh, Squid Game and the most recent season of Stranger Things. It's even bigger than previous seasons of Stranger Things. That's how phenomenally successful this has been. So talk about like why that is the case and just your impressions of the show based on the little that you saw it. And we'll have that here later in this episode because I think our conversation around <laughs> this episode of The Patient <laughs> is uh, not going to be a very long one, <laughs> to be honest. So. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe to get all that, <laughs> all that kind of feedback. <laughs> And uh, or reach out to us, of course. Do you have a different opinion of the patient? I will be discussing with Sarah, by the way, finally this weekend. Sona, have a conversation with her, and have her read on the show, which I think is still pretty positive. So I would love to get a positive spin on what she's seeing here. And also, I think she's seen some of the Dahmer show, and I'm curious to get her feedback there as well and see how realistic she thinks they handle that circumstance. She also struggled, by the way, to watch that show. So not you're not alone, by the way. It was rough for me. <laughs> I believe it. It was rough for me. Uh, but uh, anyway, but, but I'll talk about that in more detail in a bit. Recommend us to your friends and family. You know, so share us on your socials. You know, that's how we grow our audience. We should talk about Sam. Well, he just strangled somebody right in front of me. I think it's worth noting that he chose to bring you here to work with him. <sighs> what do I know about psychopathy? I wasn't trained for this. None of us are. Oh, Charlie, I need a plan. I need a plan. I'm like a second year just throwing shit against the wall. You have to find a way to come out of this alive. As crazy as it sounds, I think there is a conscience in there somewhere. Little tiny conscience. Charlie, that's possible, isn't it? That means there's empathy on some level. Focus on that. I work with people on empathy all the time. 
but I've never started at absolute zero. Empty. Yeah. On top of that, Sam is in charge. I don't have clinical authority. Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, with all that out of the way, the episode, episode six of The Patient is called Charlie, and that is the name of Alan's therapist, right? Who apparently has passed away. Mm-hmm. Played here by David Alan Greer. Very happy to see David Alan Greer here giving a very relaxed, just solid performance, which is like an oasis here in this in this show, to be honest. I don't think I realized that was him. So thanks oh, really? for sharing that with me. No problem. And I did like seeing him here. But that's one of the few positives I have for this show, which just seemed like a total mess for me. It does seem like they are intentionally muddying the waters here for some payoff. So I do agree that they do have something coming. I just don't know if I have the patience to uh, wait it out. But what are your general thoughts before we dive in? I just had a problem with the structure of this episode. I just felt it was very disjointed and trying to cover a lot of bases at once. uh, Some of which I was just not interested in at this point is for something positive to say. I did find the part with the note very compelling. Yes. Um, I was really riveted by that, which is something that I cannot say has happened much in the show. I have not been very riveted. That really had me on the edge of my seat, but it just felt the mood of that moment did feel did not feel in context with the mood of the rest of the episode. Like there was just um, not that you have to be in keeping. There can be a contrast. But this to me just felt disjointed. I don't know. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I honestly just kind of checked out while I'm watching it and I'm trying to, in my mind, you know, have some kind of critical view of it. I, I appreciate the fact that they are exploring some of these themes about how he's disassociating, for example, but mm-hmm, on the other hand, right? they explicitly spell that out for us. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. But that's the on the other hand, I mean, the idea that the show has basically set up themes in the first five episodes that are not very deep, I don't think. And now to just explicitly spoon th- feed them to us, it's just like, OK, well, like, so what? <laughs> I understand already. I know we've been, we've been watching this for five weeks. You know, it, it, that is frustrating to me. This sudden interjection of nazi imagery i'm like what is happening in this show i don't Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i almost don't want to say too much about that yet because you know first of all i don't think i may have the correct uh, context for what they're trying to represent there there might be more to it uh and i'm sure that there'll be more to it in the context of the show as well so i almost feel like they're just teasing something out but for me at this moment i just feel like now this too like it just Mm -hmm. seems like too much that they're trying to take on here And once again, we are six episodes into this and started with the very first episode that was very important that he had to pick a Jewish therapist. And we have this thematic element in every single um, episode of his Jewishness. Yes. And I still do have no idea and no idea how this ties into. Yes, (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Why? Why? Uh, and yeah, I don't, I mean, I honestly thought early on, maybe this will somehow bring him closer to his faith and it'll make him understand his son and his son's need for faith. Uh, you know, maybe he was like kind of a, la- a lapsed Jew and maybe that's what they were trying to do. That kind of religion is a buoy when things go badly, but I, I still feel like we're just getting little kids of something. And I'm like, we're six episodes in, like you have to start explaining yourself. <laughs> I mm-hmm. What are we waiting for? 
Yeah. And I don't mean the characters. I mean, obviously there's plot happening in every single episode. It's not tons of plot, but it is happening. There are events that, that keep going forward. I'm talking about like, I'm thinking about this from the point of view of these showrunners and filmmakers making this show. And I'm like, why did you make this show? <laughs> why? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway. So, I mean, and my brain is all over the place on this. The fact that at the very beginning of this episode, that who's the killer's name now again? Oh, Sam, that Sam pulls up. (laughs) (laughs) That Sam pulls up and his mom is there right away to berate him. I literally at this moment, moment started thinking like, this is psycho, right? Where this, the mom is actually like another persona of his. And they kind of, um, I I wouldn't go that far, but in the conversations with Steve Carell's therapist, they talk about how the mom is the root of this somehow. Right. right? right, right. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you though. Go ahead. Oh, no. I mean, and even then, regardless, I I agree. I I do not believe that my theory, that that theory is correct, I should say. But it's just like I'm just grasping at straws here because then I start rationalizing. Well, that's how she could have been in the house, but not done anything. That explains how when Steve Carell saw her come down the stairs, that he was kind of like, oh, hello, how are you? Right. Because maybe he didn't realize at the moment that he was seeing a different persona or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, And then it would also explain how she could be so passive. You know, and they could be in the room together at the same time. Once again, it could be like a very much like a Norman Bates and um, fight club situation, also, or a fight club situation, right? Where he's like speaking in both characters. Um, sp- spoilers for Fight Club and for Psycho. Oh, sorry. <laughs> spoilers for. I've uh, gotten around to watching that twenty-year-old exactly. movie, yeah, or that or that sixty-year-old movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume everybody knows that at this point, right? <laughs> so I was just starting to think about any kind of rationalization for what could be going on because it would explain some of the things, right? Like that he might be reaching out to this other persona. And it would even make sense in my mind that, you know, what he's saying to his therapist, because, you know, when he's saying that the mom is definitely part of this, it could simply mean that there was some trauma with the mom, right? And we don't know the details of it. Once again, they might be hiding it, trying to hide it in plain sight, but it doesn't make sense because now I'm playing it back in my mind and I'm thinking, we see him in the house when Sam leaves talking to the mom and then we see Sam at work. So they explicitly have shown us that these are two different people, right? Mm, Okay, good point there. So, but my point is I am just playing these scenarios out in my mind because I'm like, (laughs) I'm just trying to come up with anything, like literally anything at this point. Well, you're a step ahead of me because I don't think I'm even interested enough to play out these scenarios. So a question I have for you, rather we get into any positives or negatives explicitly. Let's talk about the Nazi imagery here. We see him on campus. He sees this, that there is like some Nazi propaganda on the campus and there's some of these um, instigators are coming on campus to speak. This obviously stuck in his mind for some reason, maybe because he didn't take any kind of action against this, because then we're intercutting that with him not taking enough action in disposing of Elias's body. And uh, more so, we see him literally have a flashback, you know, to like a black and white scenario where when he's being yelled at by Sam, he pictures himself as being in a concentration camp. And then Mm -hmm. we see him. In modern context, this is the question I had for you. We see him in modern context, freaking out, and there seems to be gas. Mm-hmm. So picturing himself in a gas chamber back during the Holocaust, or is this an actual memory he has? Did, did you, what was your read on that scene, that part of the scene? I mean, I didn't think it was an actual memory. That hadn't even occurred to me as something that could be possible. 
just the way it's intercut. It seems like it's separate than the other memory. But yeah, I thought the same thing. I'm like, how would that possibly be an actual memory? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I think I just ruled it out because of logic, not because of anything <laughs> right. about the way it was depicted. Right, so right. also just sitting here going, are you, are you serious? Like now this? <laughs> right, uh, right. Yes, I honestly do not know where they're going with this. And I also start getting frustrated with Alan's timidity, right? You think about the fact that multiple times I am thinking now, I understand where you want to preserve yourself because you don't want to get killed. I, I mean, and I know people have a fight or flight reflex. So maybe he's just on the different spectrum, you know, on that line than I would be, or, or maybe I wouldn't behave that way at all, honestly. But in my mind's eye, I just picture that when he is unchained at one moment and being led out of that room where he's dug the grave, he literally has no chain on him, no lock on him. If he wanted to, he could just sprint up the stairs and maybe, you know, he would just have to pull the chain out of Sam's hand and maybe, or probably Sam would catch him, but maybe he could shove him down the stairs. Maybe he can do anything. There <laughs> like were anything parts where he had the shovel too. Yes, the I shovel. He could he, just swung yeah. it at Sam. Mm -hmm. I literally picture him swinging the shovel at Sam and, you know, chained to that pipe, which he could actually break the chain from the pipe pretty easily. You just have to tug on it hard enough to, to break that pipe. Those pipes don't hold that well i mean probably flood the basement which would in and of itself probably attract some attention but literally just sh swing the shovel at sam and even if sam's like i'm just going to keep you in this room it's like well fine keep me in this room i'm going to make as much noise as humanly possible i'm going to break out the windows mm -hmm. in this room i'm going to make a total scene until your mom calls 911 or something i'll flood the basement i don't care right mm -hmm. and do anything <laughs> anything at all he's just too passive for me and like i said i'm judging him here i understand he is terrified but i don't know i don't have much sympathy for him at this point and uh and i still don't know what the point of all this is i mean we do have the note in an effort yes, to try yes. and save himself so let's just give him i guess some credit for that i don't know i i don't know what this show is trying to be at this right. point correct um and yeah. that's it's not that i need to know but it's telling me it wants to be so many different things yes that yes that that's where I'm struggling, I think. Like, I'm okay with uncertainty. I'm okay right. with, I don't know where this is heading. But it's just like the, it just feels like a lot of different things slapped together here that don't have any overarching thing uniting them. And maybe somehow there will be in these last set of episodes, but it doesn't feel promising to me. I totally agree. And to that point, it will be the let's talk about Fight Club or, or Psycho, <laughs> two very, very, very different products. But at the same time, just from the point of view of constructing a story, right, that the simple fact is that both of those films have a, a hook, uh, or I should say a twist that you're heading towards, towards the mm -hmm. end, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not like you are just sitting there watching discombobulated things being presented right. to you. Waiting it's like, for it to come together, yes. Exactly. There are mysteries. There is comedy. There are, specifically in Fight Club, there is, you know, social commentary. There are all these things that pull you through the story and then, aha, you didn't even see that coming, did you? This is like, well, maybe there's something coming at the end, but what do we get in between? Like, just, I'm so confused by, like you said, I, I don't know what this show is doing at all at any point. Yeah. And what it is doing, like the obvious stuff it's doing, I feel like this could have been a one hour project, two hour project. Like there, there's no reason for this to be 10 episodes long for him to Yeah, run. well, I think one hour or two hours might have forced the people who made this to make some decisions yes. that would have made a little bit more sense. I think this format is indulging something that shouldn't have been indulged. Yeah, I, I honestly feel exactly the same way. I feel like they took a probably like a two hour concept, like a movie idea, 
uh, which is really what I sense here, and taking all those beats from a movie and spread them out over 10 episodes. But then without thinking like, how do we take, you know, obviously whenever you split something up, you take 10 minutes of, let's say the original movie, and then you pad it out. That's just how TV writing is, period, right? But the simple fact is, they're not like taking that 10 minutes and then padding it out to a 30 minute episode and then thinking about, but what is the pull? Like when I construct this one single episode, what am I doing here to correlate it back to, you know, uh, something that I think is much more well-written if you watch game of Thrones or now house of the dragons, each one of those episodes is about, you know, what happened to that character and who stabbed who in the back and who's going to become King and yada, yada, yada. But each one of those episodes has like a thematic point. Like this is about, the burden of child rearing. This is about what the, a metaphor for marriage, right? Each one of those episodes is like about a single thing, even though it's just about like who's going to succeed to the to the mm -hmm. throne. I feel like they've broken this up into episodes, and they're like in this episode, like there's no context of like character development or thematics. They're just like this is the episode where he digs the grave in the basement, and I'm like, okay, that's what the episode's about. Like I don't understand what else is going on here. Like if anything, and if anything at all. <laughs> All right. So everybody, uh, if you're not watching this show now, <laughs> if you haven't caught up on the show, <laughs> I would say you should just quit. Because <laughs> uh, I think I might quit on this show too. But I did want to talk to you about something else. And I had so many mixed feelings about this. And I can't get into all of them because I know you didn't watch the whole thing. But tell me what you thought of that first episode. Only the first episode. Is that correct that you watched the Dahmer documentary? Yes. Only the first episode. There's so many things I wanted to talk about. I actually thought the first episode was really excellently made by Carl Franklin. Well, it was too good. That was my problem is that <laughs> um, in real life, I am a very stereotypically uh, girly girl, squeamish, can't deal with any of this stuff. But in my media life, I feel like I am not phased by much. I often have to look away for a couple seconds, but I'm not the type that like I watch something upsetting and now I can't sleep. I just turn right over and pass out. Like I'm not <laughs> hearing things or, you know, in the apartment or anything like that. But this, I guess, was so well done. Um, and the fact that I knew it was based on a real, that it's a real story. It's a real thing that happened. That the first 15 minutes of this were, I mean, one of the most disturbing things I've seen in years, I think, honestly. And, you know, I texted you saying, yeah. I can't do this. Right. I'm out. <laughs> and only because you told me, I don't know if I should give this spoiler for the first episode, but that the victim the, does not actually die. Only because of that was I right. able right. to force myself <laughs> through it. Because what I thought I was watching was something that was going to end in such a grim way that I, I couldn't do it. So, I mean, it really speaks to how well made it was, I suppose. <laughs> yes. So I don't know how I knew this. I don't know if I sussed it out while I was watching it or if I Googled it while I was watching it. But I completely agree. This, once again, first episode of The Dahmer Show, directed by Carl Franklin, a really talented director who in the early 90s had two movies that I highly recommend you track down. One is called One False Move, and the other one is Devil in the Blue Dress, which was the first time I saw Don Cheadle. It's also with Denzel Washington and uh, just great uh, thrillers from the 90s. He really should have been a much bigger uh, star. And at the time, there were very few black directors making crime thrillers. But he has become, uh, you know, he stopped making movies uh, early, relatively early on in his career, but has become a real solid TV director and directed some of the best episodes of mm -hmm. Uh, Mindhunter, for example, on Netflix, another th serial killer show. One that's a little more tactful than the Dahmer show is 
to that point, he excellently directs this. Somehow I knew, once again, don't know if it was just some kind of residual memory of the case or if I was Wikipediaing it while I was watching this episode, because I also found it to be so intense. And I honestly was and, disturbed. And it's not no. graphic, right? No. I mean, no. they're doing no. all of this just solely with like context and mood. And, right. you know, like yep. there's no blood. There's, you know. <sighs> And the and the the episode really aligns you so closely with this uh, poor victim who's been trapped in this uh, apartment with Dahmer, but he is going to escape, right? And so that's the, the long story short. The fact that we know that this is the person who escapes and that he fights back and that he gets Dahmer arrested is, in a way, a, a heroic uh, journey because it is very difficult to watch. By the way, Sarah tried to watch this as well, and I'm going to discuss it with her this weekend, and she only watched the first few minutes of it and she literally said the same thing she goes i don't think i can watch this episode and i'm like uh, she did eventually get through it but same thing i think it's strange and maybe this is the starting point for the conversation for, for you because that's what i find interesting i for whatever reason either sussed it out because i felt that there's no way they're going to align you so closely to the victim only to kill you at the end of the episode that either i inferred that this guy was a survivor or if i somehow had some residual knowledge that he was the survivor i don't remember exactly how it happened but at some way at some point pretty early on in watching the episode i knew he was going to be the survivor so that was what made it tolerable because i completely yes. agree it was incredibly tense no i don't think i could have continued had i not known that and also and we can discuss this in a couple of minutes. You know, yeah. there's a lot of controversy about this being very exploitative. Yes, yes. And, you know, whether anyone should be watching it at all. Right. So I, you might, that controversy might not have arisen at the point that you watched it, but right. I <laughs> knew about it. And so I was also feeling some kind of like, should I even be watching this? Right. Is it right. exploitative? Yeah. So I was bringing that baggage to it as well. I think they gave us a year at the beginning, but um, I can't remember at this point. I know I lived through this yes. happening 91 and as when an, the arrest occurred yeah right like as an adult i yes. you know a young adult a youngish yes, adult yes. but yeah, yeah um i would imagine a lot of people watching it probably don't remember this absolutely yes um and i think that might color your perspective as well um both as far as how disturbing you find it and how exploitative you find it but having lived through it there were so many things striking me I probably have like an average amount of interest in serial killers, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're kind of fascinating <laughs> right. on their own, but I'm not right. like right. obsessed with serial killers. But, you know, I remember hearing about this and the general idea of what happened. But there's a lot that was surprising to me that either I didn't retain it or I never knew it. Yeah. Like, first of all, I had always assumed in my mind's eye that this guy had a house, Right. right. Like, how could you be doing this in an apartment, yeah. <laughs> which, yep. which is something that they bring up from yes. the opening moments. Yeah. Right. Is yeah. that like this is not a thing that should be workable <laughs> right. <laughs> in right. an apartment, a shared living space like an apartment. <laughs> right. um, I mean, it's kind of insane that he was able to do this for as long as he was. Yeah. And then the issues with racism yeah. and that type of stuff. Like, I don't think I realized that his victims were, I don't know, entirely black or mostly black. They were different races throughout the career. Even I think one of his last victims was white. But to your point, his killing spree, um, you know, it started when he was a teenager, but it really accelerated in those last three or four months. He killed more than half of his victims. And he was living in that apartment, obviously, for that period of time. Uh, that's when he was 
you know, disconnected from his grandmother. And, you know, this is all, you know, outlined in this course of the series for anybody who watched it. He just is, you know, more isolated so he can act, you know, with less uh, oversight of any kind. And uh, that's when most of the killing happened. And of course, it was just convenient. Like you said, he's living in this neighborhood and he, the victims who are at these clubs most of the time are locals and it was just convenient. And he took advantage of it, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, not just that, but I mean, thank God that they mentioned in this episode that the neighbor had repeatedly called the yes. police yep. because I was feeling so much frustration with her of, you know, like, clearly, you know, something is very, very wrong. How are you not doing anything about this? But then they clarified that she had been calling them and just been disregarded by the police. So like just the whole socioeconomic situation of that. I mean, there's a lot to this story on its face, but there's yeah. even more to this story than I thought there was. Yeah. And I, what I would say is that even though this is after that episode one, which is truly excellent, it becomes Wikipedia, the TV show, which is what I call a lot of these shows that are out there now. They flash back to his childhood. <clears throat> you do not see him kill anybody again for many, many episodes. Uh, you see him you know, as a young boy. Uh, they have compassion for his father. They have compassion for everybody in here. And I think this is a, a, a Ryan Murphy problem, by the way, that the one person who seems to get very little compassion here is his maternal mother, his birth, birth mother, who is just a, you know, basically screaming lunatic. And uh, well, unfortunately, this is kind of like a trope almost in these shows. And you see him, uh, you know, slowly develop these disturbing fixations when he's younger. And, you know, they do try to make an effort to maybe show that there were places where people could have interceded early on to, to say the positives about it. There are many negatives I can say about this, but I'd say the positives about it are that they do not show you like horror movie imagery of the brutalization of the bodies and some of the things he did. There's relatively little of that, almost none of it, honestly. There's a sixth episode, which is purely from the point of view of the victim who died, but not that like his last moments alive, but like his life li lived up until that point, literally from when he's a child until he, mm -hmm. he dies. And he has almost a relationship with Dahmer where they kind of have met multiple times and Dahmer, he, he, he can't hear and Dahmer tries to sign to him. So it's almost like this, like a fantasy version of what could have happened if Dahmer had just like one stable relationship in his life. And it's very tragic. It's actually a very good episode, probably somewhat fictionalized, but still it's, it's very powerful to watch. And that's a very interesting episode. Uh, however, on the negative side, there are a couple of times, once when they bring up John Wayne Gacy, once when they bring up Ed Gein, who was the inspiration for Psycho, where when they basically document those serial killers, they go straight up into American Horror Story, uh, you know, you know, speaking of Murphy. So they basically have said like, well, we're not going to be exploitative when we talk about this serial killer, because obviously, you know, their families are involved with some of this production and some of their stories are being used as backdrops to this. So we're being respectful to these people. <laughs> but hey, when we talk about other serial killers, we're going straight up horror movie, right? So it's almost like they're reining themselves in and trying to do the right thing. But it feels kind of cheap when when that happens. Mm. That's very, very late in the in the season, by the way. So it's only like the last couple episodes where they kind of. But I do want to touch on something you mentioned. The biggest theme across this entire show is that multiple times when he was a teenager, when he killed his first victim and they pulled him over and he had the body in the back seat. This is when he was still 18 or 19 years old, I think. And they didn't arrest him. It's insane. He went to jail for molesting one teenage boy and eventually picked up the other brother without realizing it was they were related and ended up murdering that one. So it's this crazy situation where mm -hmm. he's literally preying on the same people over and over again. You hear a 911 call from the neighbor 
after the 14-year-old is escorted back into his apartment mm. to be murdered that night. Uh. And you hear the police officers being like, it's been taken care of, lady. It's okay. It's been taken care of. And she's like, I think that was a child. He goes, he was not a child. He was an adult. And they're like, did you see his ID? And they're just like, we took care of it, lady. And she goes, he was bleeding, you know, and they are completely and utterly ignoring her. So wow. the point is, every time, one of the things that we do see every time of is not necessarily every murder, but we do see is every time the police showed up his apartment and did not simply walk into that apartment and right. could see blatantly or smell blatantly smell, yes. what was happening in there, right? So they, they that is central to the entire story so you know i do feel unfortunately that that is kind of lip service they're doing the right thing and exposing this that these serial killers john mcgacy is a perfect example of this someone who had most of his victims worked for him at his construction company he had been interviewed dozens of times about these missing men the, one of the cars of the person who disappeared was parked in front of his car with the keys in the ignition and the cops never, ever questioned him. And the simple fact is that that is just complete and utter police incompetence. And we have a mythology that these guys are like these super predators. They're all Hannibal Lecter. Mm -hmm. And that's not the truth. The truth is this utter incompetence. People are just not seeing what is <laughs> right. right blatantly in front of right. their faces. Right. And that is something that's being exposed here. So to their credit, I think that is an important thing to put out there. But I feel it is extremely uneven. You have these really excellent episodes or even within an episode, you're like, wow, that was a really powerful scene. And then that very next episode, it's like they're kind of trying to shoehorn the social justice message in there. And it really feels like they're just trying to cram it in. It doesn't feel like mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it'll turn into a horror movie for five minutes. And I'm like, well, that's completely distasteful. Right. So it, it's it is a, a conflagration of these things. But I do think they are trying. I think they're trying to do the right thing. And uh, hopefully when people do watch this, which of course they are, it's a phenomenal success all around the world, that maybe it does make people have that other conversation about the incompetence of the cops. And you cannot not have that conversation after watching this. It literally is on every single episode, almost like the punchline of every episode is, and the cops were there and they did nothing. <laughs> Next episode, mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm, cops were there mm -hmm. and they did nothing. And we know, once again, to their credit, they don't show the murder after that. But we basically see them walk back. You see him go back into his apartment. And you're like, yeah, and that guy's dead now, you know, and it's. And yeah, is, yeah, yeah. But luckily they do not dwell on it. The only time you really dwell in the apartment with the victim is in that incredibly tense first episode. But of course, that is in a way a heroic episode. So worth a watch, I think. Um Audiences love it. The ratings have been very strong for it. Critics are mostly on board with it, although they rejected it outright, like you said. I felt the same way, by the way. I was saying, I refuse to watch that. It's going to be pure exploitation. Ryan Murphy, who did do the O.J. Simpson show, which I thought was pretty good. But Agreed. in general, I think he is pretty exploitative. I'm like, he's not going to be able to rein himself in here. But I think for the most part, he did a very good job. And it's uneven. Some of the directors do a much better job than others. But in general, I think they... Um, do a good job and they have great actors you know you have richard jenkins of course playing his dad a great performer you have molly ringwald playing his stepmother doing a oh song. i didn't know that yeah i don't think you've seen her yet but she's she's in there as well uh the mother unfortunately i think does not get very short shrift hmm. and as far as what you were saying you know that we were like old enough to have kind of lived through it i do wonder that you know i think that probably a huge amount of the people who are watching this thing now are like millennials that have no Right. Knowledge for it. of this or context. Yeah. Right. You know, another really interesting thing I thought of is as I'm watching this show, it's funny how you conflate things in your mind. And I thought back on 1991 and I'm like, you know why the Silence of the Lambs was such a massive hit in 1991? It was because 
of the Dahmer case, right? I'm like, this is, oh my God, you have a cannibal, you know, murder case and this movies and movie theaters. And of course, everybody was so fascinated with this thing mm -hmm. happening at the same time. And then I actually look at the dates and I'm like, Science of the Lambs came out on Valentine's Day, ironically, on Valentine's Day of 1991. And he was arrested like in August or something. So I'm like, mm -hmm. Sansa Lambs wasn't even in the movie theaters anymore. But in my mind, it was like the two things were happening at the same time. But it's like, no, they weren't. They were like months and months <laughs> apart. Like Dahmer was arrested when that, in my mind, it was like Dahmer got arrested. And then this movie came out and right. was like, oh my God, we got to go see that movie. It's like based on a true story or something, you know? Instead, it, it was just a year where all of a sudden, almost, yeah. <laughs> this was like an epidemic situation. Of people. <laughs> yeah, just like serial killers everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that wanted to eat people. Yeah. Just a crazy, crazy coincidence, I guess. So are you planning to see any more? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I still like am somewhat scarred by what I saw. <laughs> yeah. um, it was just, you know, really, really tense for me. And again, like credit to the people who made it yeah. for creating that feeling for me, which is not one that I often have. But I think I'm kind of struggling with the feeling that I know enough about Dahmer and don't really need to know or want to know anymore with this idea that, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying about the exploitation stuff, but I also, I have not independently researched this, but just, yeah. you know, passing, I have seen comments from family members of the victims saying yeah. that they don't support this and right. they didn't want this. Right. It just seems like there's too much baggage tied up in this for me when there are yeah. so many other things to watch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. I mean, I, it's one of those things I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anybody. But since folks are watching it, I would say that it's not bad. It's better than it could have been. I mean, I've seen much, much more exploitative stuff. I just think about these podcasts that literally just look at a, a victim or a serial killer and just delve into every one of the grisly details of their murders. And once again, I think that kind of sensationalizes the killer. This goes out of its way to make Dahmer not the hero of this story at all, make them really seem mm -hmm, like a pathetic mm -hmm. person. For anybody out there who wants to sample this, I would say episode one and episode six, and that's honestly all you need to see. They're like two, the two best episodes in this. You really don't need to see the rest. And in between, by the way, you can almost make your own version of this. I would say go with episode one, then watch a movie called My Friend Dahmer, which is based on a true story. It's a comic book written by one of his schoolmates, he went to school with him. Mm -hmm. It was one of his few friends. And basically it shows just Dahmer as this odd high school kid and this weird friendship he had. Interesting to just see, once again, it kind of does some of the same things. Honestly, it's kind of ripped off um, in this series, that movie itself, where it is almost exploring the same themes of, here's this guy who was this odd teenager. And maybe, just maybe there was a chance there to have changed the trajectory of his life. Mm-hmm. The series does the same thing. Uh, it only takes like four episodes. And honestly, you could just watch that one and a half hour movie and get the, the same effect. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that the screenwriters of this show <laughs> watched that movie and, you know, pretty much <laughs> and lifted a lot of stuff from there. So, but yeah, episode six is also very good. And it's not about the murder at all. As a matter of fact, they excise anything to do with the murder. So I, I it's actually very tragic. So yeah, I, I would recommend that sixth episode but it's not, like you said, it's not great. I mean, there, there, there are better things to, to watch. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah, go ahead. I think Evan Peters did a great job. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, I understand why people would want to watch this. Right. I just don't think I want to watch it. Right. I almost don't want to recommend this to anybody because I completely understand why people would not want to watch it. However, 
there is a Trojan horse here where people are going to watch this thinking they're going to be like, ooh, it's going to be the real life silence of the lambs, right? And what they actually get is this investigation of the breakdown of policing in this neighborhood and how, you know, once again, drives the nail home in every single episode, how they could have stopped him here and they could have stopped him here. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's almost like the structure of each episode is, and here's another moment in history where this could have all been prevented. When he gets to his spree killing at the end, where he's like killing, uh, you know, sometimes multiple people per week because he killed most of the people towards the end of this uh, frenzy he was in. You know, there are definitely deaths earlier on, but once again, when they police show up at his house, at his when he's living with his grandmother and there's bodies in the basement and, you know, someone has escaped and has called the cops and they just said, hey, seems like a nice guy. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, even though he had been previously arrested for molesting a 15-year-old, just going down the stairs would have revealed everything. And they just simply did not do the basic investigation. And, and they drive that point home. And so I think that there's some value there in demystifying what is presented oftentimes, especially on these very, very popular podcasts, this vicious serial rapist or murderer who got away with it for decades. How mm -hmm. could they have outwitted the incredibly intelligent cops who never even investigated anything? Right. So it's uh, it's it's something worth exploring. I don't know if it's the best vehicle for it, but at least it does go out of its way to make that point. So and there's value in that, I guess even if you have to trick people into watching it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on a more positive note, do you have anything that you've seen that you would recommend <laughs> for real? <laughs> um, you know what I watched recently that I wouldn't say it's a strong recommend, but I'll recommend it. It's kind of along the lines of do revenge in mm -hmm. that I thought this was going to be a more serious thriller type situation and it just wasn't it's a series on hulu called wedding season it, it almost has like this four weddings and a funeral feel of like you know it's that season of life where you're just constantly going to weddings right that everyone has in their late 20s early 30s and um this this man and this woman meet at a wedding they hit it off and it turns out she's engaged to somebody else and then the day of her wedding the entire groom's family dies by poisoning and they suspect her and kind of him and I thought it was going to be a little bit more serious. It's it's really just a straight up comedy uh, with a, a few more serious undertones. But um, nonetheless, I did enjoy it. It's not the type of thing that's going to have you, you know, glued to your seat. But it's kind of like a fun thing to have on in the background on a Saturday or Sunday when you're, you know, folding your laundry, that kind of show. <laughs> so a, slight recommend. <laughs> <laughs> But I had heard about it and uh, I heard mostly good things about it actually as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it was good. It just, it wasn't what I expected. Right. Um, so that was kind of what threw me of like, oh, okay. But I mean, I'm curious enough to see what happened. And there, you know, there's some like fun subplots and stuff like that. So again, I would call it a slight recommend. It's not like you must see this, you know, <laughs> but, right. but it also, I, I'm not sorry I watched it. Is that a recommend? I'm not sorry I watched it. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Uh, I watched uh, Don't Worry, Don't Worry, Darling. Oh, okay. It's such a mixed bag. Florence Pugh is so good. Harry Styles is fine in it. He's not great or bad. I think Shia LaBeouf was originally going to be in that role. I think he would have been better for it. But uh, Harry Styles is not distractingly bad or anything. He's, he's fine. It's really Florence Pugh's film. She's in every single scene. It's all like through her POV. 
Uh, the film is not perfect even early on. I feel like it accelerates into crazy town a little too quickly. Like we should have doubted her, you know, that what she was seeing was actually happening or whether this was all happening in her head, some kind of her body rebelling against this kind of utopia she was in. Mm-hmm. So that would have been my way of presenting it because I feel they get to where things seem to be totally off, maybe within like within half an hour, you're already there, as opposed to I think that should have been closer to the middle of the film so that you didn't feel it wouldn't have felt as long. All that being said, Olivia Wilde, who directs this and also plays one of the lead roles, it, it, some of these images are incredible. There's a scene where they are all doing ballet. They do like coordinated dancing every single day. And they like make these shapes when they're like doing their dances, which are really kind of fascinating to see the way this, the choreography is done. But at one point she turns towards the mirror and there's another person inside the mirror that she sees. And Uh it's just incredible visual. So there are these certain visual flourishes that are really incredibly well done. Olivia Wilde definitely shows some actual visual flair here. And the point of the film is interesting, although maybe not as deep as it thinks it is, but, and I won't spoil it here, but wow for a film that blows it in the end this has one of the worst twist endings imaginable it's like so unbelievably bad it derails any goodwill you have in the whole rest of the film it's so yeah because the reviews have not been good and it's so funny because it is really a film that is up until the two-thirds three-quarters of the way mark the film is good sometimes Mm -hmm. great and then you get to the end and you're like what and the more it explains the ending like rather than just kind of leaving it vague the more it explains the ending the more absolutely preposterous the film becomes it -hmm. just literally destroys itself with the ending almost having the ending as it was and then not explaining it just being like and this is what the ending is and letting the audience try to figure it out would have been bad but it wouldn't have been like catastrophic but the fact that like then they make like a whole 20 minutes in this new reality that is revealed at the end like you're like that doesn't make sense and that doesn't make sense either like nothing makes sense anymore like it's it's really really bad and it's incredible that they didn't fix the script it could have easily been fixed you literally could take what you have now and cut out a couple of scenes and it would have been better than it was so i do Mm. not understand this is a completely self-inflicted wound uh yeah pretty crazy and uh anyway so maybe we'll have a conversation about it once it comes to hbo max which is probably only going to be in you know i think that only takes two months for these things to come from theater to, to home so maybe we'll have that conversation then but wow like what a you know kind of missed opportunity however i would say like some of the visuals here are incredible florence Pugh go almost like a fugue state every once in a while she has these images she sees these ideas visual ideas that olivia wilde came up with here in representing this kind of mental separation she's going through or whatever so yeah it's well done except for like i said that ending is catastrophic utterly like sometimes i'll be like well they didn't nail it at the end but it wouldn't really discount the whole film even as they made the reveal i'm like wow that's not the reveal i was hoping for i still was kind of on board with the film by the time i got to the end i'm like man i don't even know if i can recommend this anymore (laughs) it's so so bad it's just so bad anyway thank you for the conversation thank you I will try to find something not grim like Dahmer for us to watch next week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. Oh, you know what I could bring up right now? Maybe you're in for this. That John Hughes meets The Exorcist, a comedy horror movie, My Best Friend's Exorcism, comes out on Friday. And I haven't seen the early reviews yet. But if the reviews are good, maybe that would be something uh, that we could talk about next week. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye. Just like my man. Telling on me when I ain't done nothing wrong. 
too late. Y'all came too late. So, Celia, I wanted to get you back on here because I know you've seen all of the Jeffrey Dahmer docuseries on Netflix. And it's very funny. I have a whole journey that I went on with this show. So on this very podcast last week, I explicitly said as a negative, I was like, well, this Jeffrey Dahmer show is coming on Netflix and I am not going to watch it. And part of that had to do with just I'm kind of anti true crime BS by now. I'm sick of the sensationalizing of all these murderers, which is not just a recent occurrence. It's been going on forever. And I was also kind of just given that um, Ryan Murphy was going to produce this show. He's the type of person. He's the guy who does American Horror Story. I actually thought he did a pretty good job with the OJ miniseries. But other than that, he has really likes to sensationalize as much as possible and has used in very distastefully, I think, real true life murder cases as inspirations for his American Horror Story shows, which of course is disgusting when you think about the fact that these are real people who died. So I'm like, it's going to be more of the same. I am not going to watch this Dahmer show. And I think critics in general felt this way as well. There were no reviews at all for this thing before it came out on Netflix. And then it goes straight to number one. And it is one of Netflix's biggest blockbusters in history. All of a sudden, everybody reluctantly had to start talking about this because it was just become a phenomena. And I actually have some positive things to say about this show. I thought the first episode was incredibly well made by Carl Franklin, a really, really talented director. I thought that the show's heart, even maybe this is completely calculated, but I think their heart is in the right place. They do not, for example, other than that opening sequence where we see someone in you know, a true suspense type sequence where they're in the room with Dahmer, but they actually escape. So it's actually a heroic escape that they are going to have by the end of that episode, rather than, could you imagine the amount of tension you have in that sequence only for these people to end up being massacred at the end would have been just straight up cruel. And you can only imagine all these families out there who are all over Twitter right now screaming about how disgusting this show is. And, you know, you have to accept the fact that it is pretty grotesque to have them re-traumatized by having to watch this thing all over television, all over again, and watch their family members fictionally re-brutalized. But all that being said, I was actually kind of surprised. The show does not dwell on the grisliest parts of the crimes. They do add some psychological coloring to a lot of what happened here. I do feel a lot of times, like I just feel like it's just other than that first episode and the sixth episode, which we do, do probably have to talk about. That was a very strong episode. But other than those two, I feel like a lot of it is like Wikipedia, the TV show, <laughs> but I still thought that a lot of what they exposed in his youth was pretty well done, although it copies a lot from my friend Dahmer, which I think that was an inspiration point for this particular miniseries. And I do think it's very important to note, and this has been the case now that we've reevaluated a lot of this mythology of serial killers, these you know super predators that cannot be caught by the cops. And when you actually dig into the facts of the case for John Wayne Gacy, for example, or with Dahmer, that these are people who escaped being apprehended many, many times purely because the cops were utterly and you know repeatedly useless <laughs> and terrible at their jobs, that even the most cursory inspection of these people's backstory would have or background would have revealed what they really were. So all these killings could have actually been prevented. And the show does try to shed light on those things. 
That all being said, it does like to wallow in some of the grisliest aspects of this. I feel like they're trying to keep their leash on so they don't get into too much trouble because late in the show, when they are not talking about directly about Dahmer's murders, when they talk about John Wayne Gacy, or when they talk about Ed Gein, for example, they go straight up American Horror Story in representing those particular crimes. So they really want to make this more salacious than it turns out to be. But all that being said, it was very bingeable, is very well made. Most of the performances are very good. But one thing I want to get your feedback on maybe right away is of all the empathy they give to everybody here, including Dahmer, they give his mom... <laughs> No empathy at all. She's just some crazy lady. I thought that was very reductive. Yeah, I see what you're saying. They put her in a position where she looks like she's just partially responsible even for him by being so negligent of him and so yeah. uncaring. Right. So she does come off a little villainous. Yeah. And I mean, and honestly, just it's just a trite representation of it. There's a, a hundred ways you can represent. Obviously, you can be mentally unstable. You can be, um, you know, have a postpartum depression. There are ways you can represent mental illness that isn't this screeching, insane 24 seven. I mean, she just seems completely demented. And they don't give her the empathy that they give even even uh, he gets more empathy, I feel, in the representation of him versus uh, her representation. Everyone else, though, they did a really good job with projecting how the father feels yes. and how he's trying to figure out like what it is right. that made him this way. Although the, it surprised me that he would not want his brain examined like the mother did. The She's still looking for answers right. also. Right. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, if, if it is something genetic, maybe he fears that it would be you know, be cut too close to home. Although he, in a way, starts to blame himself saying that, you know, these are fantasies I had as well when I was younger. So maybe he blames himself, which I think he's in inaccurate in that assessment. But it, it is interesting that he, you know, doesn't want to participate in that at the end. So what, we, what were your feelings al along the way? You binged the whole thing as well. Were there high points, low points? For me, episode to episode, even individual episodes would have high points and low points would be rough too. Uh, but you know enough to keep me going through it, obviously. But what was your general take the on the whole first thing? impression I got from the first episode? And I did like the first episode. Yeah, it's very good. But I was also a little frustrated by the first episode. And this is actually a good thing. The thing I did not like was it was so ugly. Yes. So ugly. Like yeah. I could almost smell the ugliness. They would describe it, the stench, the yellow mustard walls or the poverty. Yep. Just it, the whole thing was so terrible to watch the dirt. So I'm watching that and I'm like, this is so unpleasant to watch. Right, right. But at the same time, they sure as hell are not glorifying this situation in any way. And then I started wondering how much of that was accurate all the way through things would happen. And I always do wonder, wonder how much of that is accurate. So the first, that's when I was, you were asking me about it. Like, is it worth watching? I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's ugly. It's, you know, I was undecided, but I did like the first episode because there was a lot of a suspense. Yeah. I don't know if I could say like, because then things were happening that were frustrating to me. Like the guy could have escaped quite a few times, but he stayed there. That's where I really started wondering how much of that was accurate. He could have just run out. Yeah. So there are a few details there. First of all, is that, you know, obviously these people were drugged. 
Second of all was that, you know, he had a machete to the guy's neck basically the whole time. And uh, beyond that is the fact that, uh, you know, he did have the, the, the door was kind of like trick bolted from the inside too. So if he could get a little bit ahead of him, um, like, like we see actually represented there that he needs to, you know, basically fight him off multiple times to be able to open the door and escape, which he did. And by the way, Dahmer was completely drunk <laughs> most of the time during these um, attacks, uh, which speaks to the fact that, you know, he probably felt some guilt about what he was doing to, to have to get himself so wasted to, to, to do these things. Although what he did was, you know, unspeakable to your point about how ugly the whole entire thing is. I agree. I like the fact that it did not try to sanitize this. This was a guy who was living inside a rotting apartment with his, you know, dead fish and his, um, you know, decomposing corpses. And he was so alienated from the outside world that he was like wallowing in this filth and like not even recognizing it at some point. And I think that's kind of maybe intentionally or not the most kind of interesting point of this whole entire show, you know, just this isolation that he put himself into. And I think that's like the biggest danger. I think when you see, you know, just to correlate the, to stuff that happens now, you see these kids who are like the modern serial killers, I think, and not in a glamorous way, but in an unglamorous way, are these incels, these kids who find these groups online that motivate them to, you know, uh, attack women or uh, attack people uh, in, in these kind of very high profile assaults. And they, even though they find this community, I feel like it is that isolation. What allows them to have these really, really, really dark fantasies is this ability of disconnecting from the rest of society. And, uh, you know, I think that's what's represented in this show. And I do think that it does a good job of showing that, actually. It does. How do we describe why we would binge this? I was interested in the story itself, but... I mean, it is an ugly series. There's, I mean, I don't see, you know, when we talk about other things, I'm like mesmerized by the beautifulness. Yeah. This is ugly. So I have the opposite reaction where I'm just kind of disgusted. Yeah. Like, oh, and then the horrors of what he does. There is, I think it's the second episode where they're describing to his father what they what found, they found yeah. in his apartment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The whole series is ugly yeah. and the actions are ugly and there's empathy and pity and really all uncomfortable emotions watching the entire thing. But it is very well made because if that was what they were going for, I'm assuming it was, then they did a great job. So why do we all want to watch this? I felt like I was morbidly fascinated. Yes. Yeah, I think that is, for me, the most compelling part of this wasn't even the craft of the show. I think if the show had been exploitative and had been poorly made, I would have quit on it. But I don't think it's so exceptionally well made that that's what drove me through it. I think it's exactly what you're saying. I joked about the fact that the show started feeling like Wikipedia, the show, like a lot of these shows do feel where it's just like, you know, and then this happened and then this happened and this happened. And you can literally read the Wikipedia article and like sentence by sentence, it is scenes you saw in the show. And uh, you can do that right now. Everybody out there who's seen this, go read the Wikipedia article and you're like, this is an episode two. And then this is an episode three. And then this is an episode four. It's like literally just one line at a time transcribed. But even though I'm making fun of that, that is part of the re reason that it was compelling to me because all these facts, we grew up, I was a teenager when this case happened. It was incredibly famous case back when that happened. Obviously, you can only imagine. Most people who are watching this now are millennials, have no idea about this story. You know, So there's this nostalgia element of this horrible story from our youths that a lot of people are also binging it because they're reconnecting with that their memories of that time as well. 
it's not just nostalgia. Like I said, because this was such a big story, all of these individual facts were known. I knew about Dahmer's father's book. I know about Dahmer. They don't show this, but Dahmer went on Dateline NBC with his dad and they did an interview, right? So all these things happen. All these facts are known. So through the grapevine, you hear these individual facts. But to all of a sudden have someone just line them up one after the other. And like, for example, the fact that he was like arrested 11 times and the cops like never just walked into the apartment and took a whiff and realized what was going on in there. That it's just like when you see it presented in that way, you're like, holy cow, like this story is absolutely nuts. right? And I think that's what is compelling about it. You're like, you think it can't get any worse. And like, it just gets worse. And you're like, how could this happen? You know, and, and like I said, so I lived blatant. through it. Yeah. And that's the thing is I lived through it, knew all the facts, like through the reading the headlines or hearing the headlines, but not really like seeing it put in order this way. When you kind of compound the whole entire story, you're like, this is insane. <laughs> this is absolutely it, it's insane. It's so crazy. Yeah. Like when he picks up the 14-year-old, yes. and then the 14-year-old escapes. Yep. And then the cops find him and bring him back to yes. Dahmer's apartment yes. yep. while the neighbors are screaming for them not to do that and questioning the age of this kid, which they don't check. The second he gets the kid back into the apartment, he just turns on all the saws yep. and starts to dismember him. Yeah. while the neighbors listen. Wow. And the end, by the way, that same night, she calls up, you know, that actual 911 call, she calls up to follow up and they're like, you know, and once again, what's insane about it, if this was the only time anybody called hit on this guy's apartment, this person, the neighbors had complained multiple times, people had escaped this guy multiple times, he had been Cops have been called to this apartment, had been called to his grandmother's house. He had gone to jail for molesting a teenage boy. This was so obvious. And no one ever did the smallest amount of due diligence to even just check his criminal record one single time. And it's astounding to think about the level of incompetence that allowed this to happen. And to make it worse, he doesn't care if he gets caught. He's not even trying to not get caught. He's just doing whatever he wants. Right. He's gotten and away he, with it for so long. Yeah. But it's not like he's secretly, right. you know, changing his appearance or moving or making any elaborate excuses, really. He, like, if somebody catches him, he'd be like, okay. Yeah, it, that's actually one of the things just that's Nobody's catching him. And that's what's interesting about the presentation of it here, which is probably legitimately true. When he's cornered, when the cops are there in his face, he does what he needs to do to evade capture. The bare minimum, just lie to their face and they're like, okay, fine. But the reality is, like you said, he is so not careful the rest of the time. It's as if he wants to get caught, right? And it's insane. <laughs> they just don't even bother to do just the one extra, just do one little bit extra work to um, uh, to to uh, to prevent all of these deaths when you think about it. it's It's absolutely insane. The family's representation of the young boy that we were just talking about was very heartbreaking. Oh, of course. Yeah. Can you imagine what they went through? So terrible. And uh, what did you think of the sixth episode? That's the one with the- uh... When he finds a boyfriend? That, Which, that is... is pretty fictionalized, by the way. It's a lot of- <laughs> The whole time I'm wondering how much of this is true. But the way they present it, it was almost sweet. He's trying to be normal. It's like he found something to live for. He found someone who loves him and he loves this person too, but he has very severe abandonment issues. Yeah. 
I guess a lot to do with his parents because they got divorced and then they left him behind. And even before that, he must have had them. But this whole adoration that he has for this guy, this idealization that he has crumbles like in a second. And once again, like I said, this is probably the most fictionalized of all the uh, episodes of the show because there's no way of knowing what that relationship was actually like. But at the same time, I don't mind that because I think in a way, whether you want to just imagine this whole thing is a fantasy in Jeffrey Dahmer's mind of a different alternate life he could have had, it still is incredibly tragic because A, you realize the loss of this person, right? I mean, like I thought, you know, it's, it's very devastating actually to watch that when he like happily gets that job at the gap or wherever, whatever it is. And he's like celebrating in the street. He's like cheering himself. And you just know that, you know, that he's doomed because we know what happens to him in the long run. And then of course he runs into the Dahmer, but then there's also the sadness of, like you said, the whole, once again, as fictionalized as this is, this idea that Dahmer could have had some kind of normal life if he had just kind of any stabilization in his life at all at that moment. But he was just so deep into this bizarre fantasy that he was in that he couldn't get out of it. So the question watching this also that I had was, as we're talking about abandonment issues, say he is the way he is, but he had grown up with loving, supportive parents who kind of just put up with his weirdness, because he's weird, but were just maybe laughed it off a little bit. So he didn't feel like, you know, everybody is always leaving him. He's got to kill them and leave their body parts under his bed. So he feels like, (laughs) I don't know, they're still there surrounding him, which is, this is a big issue for him, this abandonment issue, to the point where he will dismember people and what it bleached their skulls and just so they're still with him. And then the issue we just talked about with this guy where he, he doesn't even do anything wrong. Dahmer assumes that he is abandoning him or whatever. So I guess he couldn't take that chance. And that's when he murders this poor man who, wow, what heartstrings they were pulling on this. They had him being born. They yeah. they had this beautiful, beautiful baby, yeah. like being told that he is now permanently death because of some error that should have never happened easily. I mean- He could have just stayed home and got over the ear infection. He'd be fine now. But this awful thing that his mother is going to feel responsible for. And then this boy and his mother and his family and their whole relationship. And then he meets Dahmer. And and Dahmer falls in love with him. And then he ends up in just they really yanked the heartstrings with that whole baby thing. I mean, once again, I think that, you know, probably the most fictionalized of all those, but not his backstory, not his his history. You know, I mean, the, the, the relationship with Dahmer is there are some indications that they had some multiple interactions and that Dahmer, you know, was writing notes to him and stuff like that, which we, we know that did occur. Now, was he just using that as a way to lure him? You know, it's all open for debate. But once again, I don't even care. I'm just talking about the fact that I think that, you know, as just trying to represent this one individual as standing in for all of these people who all had lives, who all had friends, who all had families waiting for them at home. Um, you know, that, that teenage boy whose brother ends up getting, uh, you know, uh, you know, assaulted and then he gets us and then he gets murdered like, later on. Right. That just like that, the chain of misery that, that, that comes from all this and that the weight of it is all in that one episode, which I thought was very well done, has a certain amount of passion or compassion, I should say, that is not, um, present across the board with all of the other episodes as well. 
but yeah, I mean, I think they, they made an effort there. And I thought the episode was pretty strong, even with what's probably has to be some fictionalization, but there are some biographical elements that do seem to correlate. For example, he never had his um, family come over to his apartment. And at, for a period of time, it seemed like he was cooling off on the murdering because he actually had them over. He seemed like he had cleaned up the apartment, you know, he'd gotten fish. And then of course we see by the end, which is only a few months later, by the way, like a three, four month period where he just went on a killing spree. He killed the vast majority of those people in a very short period of time. He was killing sometimes two, two days in a row or something. It was, it was insane. And like, you know, the fish are dead. He's like just completely obsessed with just murdering more people and making this altar to himself. Anyway, this is incredibly bleak when you talk about it in these terms. It right? is. It's so hard to watch the yeah. series, though, yeah. because what we're describing is probably not even as bad as when you are watching this and everybody right. everybody was just addicted to this. It's like morbid fascination. Yeah. And that's probably why people go to horror movies and whatever, but- right. When you're like, did you like it and whatever? I'm like, I don't know if I liked it. I don't think you like it. I mean, that was I probably- appreciate <laughs> right, it, right? But I was. It's too real and too sad, yeah. and horrific, and, just... and shockingly very popular, which is what shocks me. Yes, yeah. I'm. That's why I said, who is the audience for this? Yeah. And why am I still watching this? <laughs> right. This is the same question, right? Everybody else is doing the same thing. Why are we all doing this to ourselves? Right, right. And I mean, and I think that's the bigger question, right? Like, what is the value of something like this? Or is there any value to it? Obviously, I like horror movies. I like horror movies that aren't entertaining. And I like horror movies that are entertaining, right? And it's different when you're watching a slasher kill a bunch of dumb teenagers and enjoying that aspect of it, or even sympathizing with the, the victims in some uh, thrillers and then hoping that they make it out all right. Because once again, this is all fictional, as opposed to like Sona, for example, who I, she'll be part of this conversation in the same episode. I already discussed this with her. She could not get through the first episode until I told her that that was a survivor story, right? Then she could watch it because she thought she was about to watch someone get killed. And she's like, I cannot watch this. Why would anyone watch this? Right. And it's completely, That's how we completely feel. understandable, right? <laughs> yeah. Like after the, yeah. First episode, I almost gave, and then you're like, maybe I'll, you know, we'll talk about it. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll try to watch more of this. And then I became morbidly fascinated. But, if they uh, hadn't jumped back, just to talk about the actual show itself, if they had not jumped back in time in episode two, like I watched episode one, I thought was very strong, but I honestly had no intention of watching episode two. And then when I watched episode two, I thought it was going to be, for example, maybe another reenactment of another murder. I'm like, I don't want to watch this. But when episode two jumps back in time to his youth, in a way, the show is very much structured in a cruel way, in some ways, to the, cruel to the audience. It's structured in a way to ease you in. So they give you this incredibly tense first episode. But don't worry, everybody, this is not a murder episode, right? And then it's just like, oh, no, I don't want to see the murders now. Like, I don't want to see that. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. We're going to show you him as a kid, right? So now you go back. And then guess what? We get all that grisly stuff. They just lure us into it because it comes, you know, 60% of the way through the episode and, and through the show, I should say. And I'm like, by then you're already pot committed. You already watched, you watched six or seven of these episodes. You got to watch them now, right? You're, you're pretty much in it. I watched The Handmaid's Tale and it is morbid. It is gloomy. It is mm -hmm. what we've described before, but it's so pretty and it's so fake. So I'm watching this because I'm watching a story, but watching Dahmer made me mad at the cops. Yep. It made me want to cry for the families. Like it was very intense 
and therefore harder to watch Dahmer on top of the fact that like we talked about it is not it's not fun to look at nothing's fun to look at on <laughs> oh, no. screen this is, on and, this. And I mean this is not a fun show in any possible way which is once again what fascinates me about them um, I mean I guess people do watch this as entertainment which is kind of crazy to me so anyway long story short is I think what it comes down to is I don't know who I'd recommend this to although I still feel like I should talk about it considering that I think that even if I don't want to recommend it to anybody everyone's going to watch it anyway it's like the most popular thing on TV and for for you know since the Stranger Things or something literally that's literally legitimately true so the fact that people are watching this over like game of thrones the house of the dragon or something is insanity to me and uh, but that's just the way it is but at the same time i'm not being hypercritical here because guess what i went to sample it just to say well i just want to have an opinion on this and i watched the whole damn thing so i'm just as bad as everybody else <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's like one o'clock in the morning i have to get up in like four hours yeah why well, am I watching watch this? I'm having nightmares. Exactly. I was watching it before I went to sleep too. And I'm just like, what, what am I thinking? Like, this is stupid. <laughs> but, but I, once again, uh, you know, to their credit, this is not going for the cheap horror. And if nothing else, this is a Trojan horse for exposing the fact that we have historically bought this mythology of serial killers that these guys are impossible to catch because they're so clever when you see more and more cases of this, whether it's this, you know, the John Wayne Gacy case, which is even more ridiculous than this one, to be honest with you, and some of these other um, cases now that you know, in clear, with clear eyes, we we see historically what happened for real in these cases. The cops were trying to build up this mythology that we could never catch these guys, but that's a lie. They just didn't do their jobs. <laughs> that's basically what happened. So just there for the paycheck. I'll probably cut this out, but the Gacy case is so nuts. He killed 33 guys, right? He would pick up like guys who were like in his neighborhood. Sometimes they were runaways, but sometimes they were just people who lived in his neighborhood. They worked as contractors in his construction company. He like literally paid them paychecks. Then they would disappear. And someone goes, hey, another one of those guys disappeared who worked for that guy, <laughs> right? That's insane. He didn't pay this guy. Listen to this one. He didn't pay one of these teenage kids. The kid told his girlfriend he was pissed off because the guy had not been paid he says, I'm going to John Wayne Gacy's house. That's where I'm going, right? He never comes back home. The girlfriend says he never came back home and he was going to Gacy's house to get his paycheck. The cops show up at Gacy's house. By the way, the cops have been at Gacy's house about 10 times at this point, right? They go to Gacy's house. They say, he says, I don't know where the guy is. They, I never found him, right? They find the guy's car parked across the street from Gacy's house with the keys still in the ignition. And the cops say, I guess another runaway. They, they just don't care. They don't yeah. care. They just give a shit. don't give a shit. They're like, oh, this is annoying. I just want my paycheck. He killed one of the cops' kids. One of the boys who died was one of the cops' kids. That's when they finally started to like figure. Pay attention. Yeah. It's just like he was. I mean, it's crazy. If you put pins on the board, it's like this kid died walking home from school in front of Gacy's house, the last place he was seen. If you just put pins on the board of where everybody was last seen, they were all seen like all the pins would be on top of Gacy's house. And no one even looked at them. By the way, he had been to jail for molesting a boy, by the way. So. That's so close. And then finally, when they finally catch him at the end, one of the guys escapes, goes to the cops. This is not the first time, guy who has escaped and then gone to the cops. But this guy goes, they actually go, this cop goes and says, hey, this time, this 16th time that we talked to this guy, let me pull up his record. Oh my God, he went to jail for molesting a 15-year-old. Let's start putting a tail on this guy's car. <laughs> I'm glad that the 16th time they showed up when like 25 people are already missing, you finally did a little investigating, which required, he literally said, all they did was to pull up his old criminal record, like just, just do a, a standard search on, on his name. That's all they needed to do. 
and he killed 33 people. That's all. That's all it took. Really disturbing. Very disturbing. Anyway, on that positive note. <laughs> <laughs> I know how depressing. I have something fun you might want to watch this weekend. I'm definitely going to watch it with Sona and maybe you can participate as well. There is coming on Amazon Prime tomorrow night, but of course we're not going to talk about it tomorrow night. We'll talk about it next week. Is a 80s set, kind of a Heathers-like show. Everything is just like, it's like another Heathers, right? But it's called My Best Friend's Exorcism. <laughs> and it's kind of like a John Hughes 80s teen comedy and The Exorcist mixed together. And it's based on a book that was a bestseller a couple of years ago. I have not read this book, but I've read his most recent book, the same author. And that's also being made into a miniseries with Charlize Theron. And it's uh, basically about all these last girls who survived their serial killers. And then someone starts picking them off, the, the last girls. So anyway, that's coming to Hulu like next year sometime. But this is coming this weekend to Amazon Prime. And uh, you should check that out. And maybe we'll talk about it next week. Carlos would love that. Send me a reminder and yeah. we'll, we'll watch it tomorrow because we're babysitting this weekend. Oh, there you go. All Yay. right. All right. Bye. Bye.